magic of the sunstone, you're tuned into the Jewel Riders Archive. Hey Jewel fans, welcome back to the fourth part of our interview with Regatore, the toy designer and art director of Jewel Riders. If you want to hear part one, go to episode 11 of the podcast and you can hear the first part of this conversation. Enjoy! So more about the fashions, because I'm, love, I'm loving hearing you talk about these. Yeah, so I literally would... would through the books and and look at different shapes I could do on the armor but also I mean there's a lot of basic fashion shapes in here I and mean, if you look at wave two magic armor Fallon which is on page four of the um, of the Hasbro catalog for that year Wait, catalog, catalog yeah. for that year yes um, so magic Fallon really has a boost yay. I made it into armor, but it's a bustier, and I couldn't I couldn't do as much armor on these because these ones actually had a chemical inside the armor that would turn it to green or pink or purple when you put it in the sun, which was really cool because it was clear armor, all clear armor until you put it in the sun. No, I have to interject that, here. I saw yeah. a commercial for Treasure Rocks, and they were doing the same thing. They were like Sun Magic Treasure Rocks. Was it the same yeah. plastic? It's it was the same, not plastic, but colorant. Okay, it was the same process essentially. Yeah, actually, you know what? Um, no, that's right. It was a different because they used a different plastic. They were using acrylic because you needed the acrylic mm-hmm. to get that thick. And these outfits, these ones were all made in K resin. But it's the same. Gotcha. It's the same colorant. But it was expensive. That's why there's no soft goods pieces on these. It took that extra amount to to take mm. to to cover it. But they still all had light piping. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you from can still make. Go ahead. From a consumer perspective, I I would say as a kid. I don't know how I would have felt about the second wave of the toys. I think because it lost the soft goods and especially coming from being a fan of the fashion dolls, that is one of the reasons why I loved the jewel rider dolls is because they did have a soft goods item, whether it was a dress or, you know, the little ruffle thing or a cape or whatever it might be is that it still had that quality to me. Now, when it came to Tanko as Mattel, like that was too much like a fashion doll. I was like, okay, it's too fashion dolly. Like I want more like action figures. So that's why I liked the Guinevere dolls. But when I came to the second wave, like as a child, I don't know. I mean, I think that I would have loved it because it was just the same property that I enjoyed, but I feel like I would have been missing something. Like I probably would have taken some of the, you know, pieces of the fashion from the first wave and probably put it on the second wave. I I, I agree that, you know, looking at these, you know, and, and it's like at that time period, it was okay. So you throw everything you can, and you spend spend six months developing those characters from the very rough ones that we did from the test. I mean, the, I probably made all of those models. All the models in the test were probably done in two, three weeks tops. Every single one of them. Okay. But to get to the point of all of the sculpting, the exact colors, the painting, the design of the six main characters, actually six plus the three deluxe characters, that took that took about six months. And then it took several more months for it to be tooled, like at least three more months to be tooled and then a month of production and then usually a month on the water. So that time period takes a lot. And then suddenly they're like, wait, we want to go ahead and do a wave two. And by the way, you have to be done in two weeks. So, Oh, my gosh. So that's one reason why wave two is nice but not great mm-hmm. because there really wasn't the time. Now, in the commercial, Kenner would have made sure that looked great. Yeah, and there's course. one little inset picture there, and they would have, and that would have been fun. And, um, 
And and I also would have pushed for that to happen more in the TV series. Um, but at, but then it was go ahead and do the real stuff. And then I had time to do the next wave. Um, and actually, the the figures I got to spend time on were the Invisible Fallon, Mermaid Terra, Tamara, and Flying Gwen. I spent a lot of time on those trying to get them right, uh, particularly Invisible Fallon, which I'm still very proud of because, and it's a shame, it's a shame there isn't a, well, there were a couple working models, but they weren't fully painted. Um, yeah, I believe Kenner liked to destroy their, okay. Yeah. It was neat because with her purple robe <clears throat> and, and her face and silver and everything, you know, it looked like, okay, here's my character, but, and I think what you did is you you would squeeze down the arms and that wound the mechanism. And then if you press the button on her back, her hands were attached roughly to the cape and they would pop up. And so it would open the cape, which was then had a dazzling. I mean, the picture here doesn't do it justice. It's it's a dazzling metallic silver print on purple and it's also a a rainbow print on purple but then at the same time her head turned around to clear and then it also revealed clear arms and clear legs with the greaves and the arm guards forgot the name of the, the gauntlets um in silver so suddenly she was so she was purple and had her normal face, and then you click the button on it, and it was like she went almost solid silver, like she had disappeared. And I thought that was so much fun. I loved that. Um, so the head on that would have been molded in clear plastic then, and only painted on the one side. Yes, except, if you look at the photo here, on the clear side, we also painted the eyes, because it was very important that you still saw that that was... That the face was still there and it looked really cool on the photo samples which is what these are they looked and worked great they were just beautiful this is i you know you go back and see things that you worked on and you forget about them and it's like i still go back to this one and this was i i wish i had that on my shelf that i could play with because it was so cool it was like she turned invisible now tamara very simple i mean the gown covers up that she's a mermaid um, I always thought I, w- I would have liked to have fixed that because I think it was clunky. Um, mm-hmm. I think we sculpted it too quickly. It was clunky. I would have I would have rather have gone back and fixed the legs so that it would have been more sleek. But and then there was a button on the back near her rear that you could make the fin go up and down um, because in this pose in the photograph. It's like she's standing, which you need that because you need to be able to stand your doll. But you could actually move this button on the back and that tail would go completely flat so you could make it flip up and down and you could pretend she's, you know, swimming through the water. So she was fun, too. Flying Gwen was fun because, you know, no wings and suddenly you press the button on her back and she had wings Um, because they were they were hidden by her robe type thing. Um, And it was just so much, you know sparkle and pink that it was just beautiful just a beautiful toy i do love the guinevere i have to say oftentimes even though tamara is my favorite character from the merchandise side usually guinevere is my favorite Mm -hmm. of the toys um i mean i do obviously like the deluxe tamara but i just like the deluxe guinevere i think better and i think that it just it actually comes down to color (laughs) as a child i gravitated towards it since i love pink so much so So there's your answer when you're talking about, you know, colors and and what people gravitate towards as kids. But, you know, I always felt like, well, maybe it's just because she's the titular character. But, you know, it's like Guinevere was always kind of the better one. I know, Chris, obviously, like Drake, but I think that you also really loved the Fallon toys. Well, yeah, Fallon was one of those ones that I never got to own as a child. But looking at Fallon, she has this incredibly pleasant color scheme today that really draws you in everything from her skin tone to that she combines the purple, the light and dark purples and the aquas and the 
She's just in every instance when I look at them now, she is she's my favorite of the girls for each iteration, I think almost. Except that Sun Power Guinevere that I always love. <laughs> I do love Sun Power yeah. Guinevere. Fallon, the Fallon was fun too because she was in some ways an outsider. And so I didn't have to follow as strict rules on her because she was very different than the other characters. And so I got to do more fun things with her. Like, I mean, if you look at her outfit, just the, the basic, her outfit, um, you know, she's got a vest on where none of the other ones did. Um, she has much more of an active wear outfit. And then I just, I love the idea of her having, instead of a pet falcon, she had her own little dragon. And um, and I, I don't know if I told you this story before, but I made the model of this and made it work. Because in in most cases, I had to prove this would work. Even, even going back to the original dolls, no one believed it could work. Um, and I had to show them. And when I first showed the dolls, People thought that I had a light in it. That's how well it was working. Um, of course, we had a thicker light pipe there, but in order to keep the thinness of the neck, I had to, the light pipe that transmits the light had to be thinner. So I made it as thick as I could. But um, but I made this little dragon out of Sculpey and plastic parts and stuff, and it really ticked off one of the engineers because. It's like, oh, you're doing it with, you know, uh, tolerances that we can't make and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I never understood. It's like, look, instead of saying, hey, I want you to engineer a dragon that does this. It's like, I made you one. Yeah, you're going to have to thicken the joints. Yes, you're going to have to worry about tolerances. But I gave you one that worked. So it was always weird. It was like, why, why are you complaining so much? And then the final version came out very, very similar to the one that I had made. Um, and I still think I, I just get a smile every time I would make that dragon land on her hand and the wings pop up. I just, it always made me smile. And with the big color break under the wings, go ahead. I was going to say, a question I've always had about that dragon ever since learning the Pern connection is whether or not that was based on an early thought for, like, the fire lizards for Pern characters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in the... In fact, you guys have... I've got a really cool drawing here of... Oh, actually, let me, let me find it and tell you what it actually says. But I think it actually says Melody and her friends. And it is her playing an instrument, and dancing. You do have the Enchanted Logo Camelot, right? I'm sorry. Let me try yeah, that in English. Enchanted Camelot, the, the um, like, in the one or like whatever it is. In, the, in a little TV. Okay, I've got, I've got one all by itself that is the logo, you know, in the crown. Actually, wait a second. Let me look at the TV one. Hold on. It's probably the same image. But, uh, yeah, please, please send okay. it if you, if you have another right. one. I'll throw it in my I, stack here. I love Jan yeah. Camelot. I think it's There's, such a beautiful aesthetic. There we go. So this one is actually Melody and her friends, which obviously changed. But this was done further along because it actually is my costume design and character designs uh, with it. But it's funny that it still says Melody. And it says, mm-hmm. copyright 1995, New Frontier Entertainment, confidential. Um, but, and I was thinking, I think there was a version of this that I saw in the book from Robert originally that had um, Melody really was Melanie in, in when this had the Pern connection. Right. And so there was dragons. And so, yeah, so in my mind, that world still had flying dragons. So, um, Fallon got a flying dragon. Uh, one thing back to a point you were saying about the best outfits and features were on Gwen. Yes. 
They always were. It had to be that way. That was the main character. I had to make sure that character was stunning and that the other characters looked good. So more time... It's true. It's true. More time had to go into Guinevere because if you're looking at sales numbers, if this was a box of six, a master carton of six, there would probably be three Guinevere's. I was just going to say three. A Fallon, a Drake, you know, and I know that, you know, but, but there's, there would be multiples of the main character. And so that one had to be the best. So, but you know, it's funny that you should say that because I'll tell you, okay, Guinevere was not necessarily hard to find, but the other two parts that were Guinevere were extremely hard to find. Sun Power Guinevere was the hardest doll to find followed by Sunstar. And those are the two that are the alternate Guinevere dolls. I mean, deluxe Guinevere you could find. But I always found it funny that even though she was the main character, you could not find those characters. So either they sold so well or not enough were produced. I'm not sure which one. Well, what, I, can give you, was, I can give you the answer. Please okay. do. Because okay. I had to drive to another state to finally buy my two versions. <laughs> okay, so Sun Power Guinevere. The reason that she was harder to find is she was not in the original shipment because she we, was short packed. Yes, I mean because I mean they we they Kenner kept changing the assortments. You know, I swear weekly, not <laughs> not quite that much, but they must have had they must have shipped minimum two different assortments and probably three. No, no. Minimum three, because the first set all had in the, the secret jewels. And then some actually shipped without the secret jewels, I think. I've never um, seen those, if they did. I haven't seen... Okay. Well, they were planned to. So, she... We still hadn't finished debugging her tool. She wasn't ready yet. So, in the very first wave, she did not ship. And the reason she has puffy sleeves is because I'm hiding the mechanism. The mechanism was too thick to make it work. I had actually made it. My model works. It had a had a longer shooting ray on it, um, and so we, it was very tricky making that work. And the the engineers hated me on this one. Absolutely hated me. Even though I made them a working model, they hated me. Um, but I, I allowed the hand to be somewhat misformed and around the jewel and then gave the big puffy sleeves to accommodate what they needed and then they backed off for me. Um, right. But but yeah, she she did not ship in the first wave. She was in the second wave and that's why there wasn't very many of her. Well, good to know. I mean, again, Sun Power Guinevere was extremely hard to find. And then what about Sunstar? I mean... Is it just the fact that she's the pretty flying horse and so everyone wanted her or was not enough made of her? No, there was plenty made of her. She was, she was, you know, overbought. I gotcha. So, so it was the Elsa doll of the jewel riders. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And also, if I remember correctly, the assortment box on that may have been just two. And when there's only two characters, it really should have gone out two of Sunstar and one of the other horse. That's how it should have shipped. Yeah. Moon Dance, yeah. Um, it should have shipped that way because that one was always destined to sell more. And probably, I, I would say that's the reason why there was the problem, because they should have shipped it in a bigger assortment that had two of those figures. An odd gotcha. side note, um, mm -hmm. villains don't sell. Okay, and <laughs> and the only villain that ever sold in any action line from a main company, at least in the last, you know, at least up until the last ten years or so ago, was Darth Vader. Darth Vader would sell the same amount as a hero, but that was the only villain that ever did. But even though there was a lot of cool villains in in all of these action figure lines, you might. Yeah, you know, people people wouldn't buy the villain unless you had to have everything. So, and and my one regret from the line in hindsight is I should have designed 
Lady Kale to look exactly like the grown-up Lady Kale, which we designed it, and then they went back in and made her look more grown-up, and I should have gone back and went, no, let's let's change ours, and, and even made her a little bit taller. I should have done that. Um, my bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had a really cool feature. When you turn that thing around and her eyes glowed, really cool. Um, right. Yeah. No, it is a fun toy. I mean, you know, the toys are never going to look exactly like they do in a series. Um, I did think that sometimes, it, since you mentioned Kale, uh, the bumpiness of, I don't know, like her dragon skin outfit or whatever it is that her that it's made out of, I always thought that it kind of felt weird. Like I would have rather a smooth character, but it was still, it was a neat thing. But you're right. I mean, the character in the film is much more sexier. It's much more almost seductive and like a dominatrix, like a mistress of the dark, essentially, where she's got a little bit of an Elvira vibe. She does. And the toy was very different, you know, and and it's like, even down to her hair color is different, but I still like that about the toy. Like, it's fun that she has purple hair, even though she doesn't have purple hair in the show, you know, it's something different. Yeah. 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 So if we can go back to um, some of the explanations of the fashion, I, I I would like to talk more about that if if you don't mind, just because it's so interesting to me when you're talking about the designs. Um, you were going kind of one by one, and you were looking kind of at Guinevere. Um, can we go back to that, just kind of finishing up um, some of the ideas of why you gave them certain elements, or if you were inspired by whether it was you know armor real armor or if it was just kind of your own doing at least from a theatrical production you know costume design well let's talk lady kale since we just mentioned her and and you um you mentioned about her bumpy quality so that was intended to look like chain mail like she was wearing sleek chain mail all the way down um in animation of course that would have taken too much design time so that element was not shown in the design. It's, it was funny because some things were more costly in the toys and some things were more costly on the, in the animation. Uh, for instance, I could, I could sculpt in anything, but, and then it was free as long as I didn't paint it. So I, could, I put in lots more detail on here, like all of the detail on Fallon's vest. All of the mm-hmm. detail in the armor, I over-detailed the armor completely. And so if you look at the, at the show, though, they simplified it way down because otherwise it would have taken too long to animate. Um, right. And so things, things got to be simplified. Yeah, going back to Kale, so I was going for an asymmetric look, which is why pretty much everything on her is asymmetric. I mean, even that she's got... She's got a shoulder piece, and then she's got a gauntlet on one side, and then she's got her. She had a shield, and um, she also has an armband as well. Yes, I was just—I kept thinking. I thought there was an armband, but it doesn't show. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. obscured by and the shield. What I love is that they're kind of like—I always thought that kind of like like volcanic rock formation armor. Like it wasn't smooth, yeah. like the Jewel yeah. Riders. Yeah, there's an obsidian no, it, quality to it. It's really cool. Exactly, and it gave her kind of a harder edge, which was fun. Um, and she had really cool bitch boots. <laughs> yes, she did. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I liked the the helmet. It was interesting on her headpiece. And of course, in the show they chose not to do it. But what I did was I it was almost like sleeping dragon when her eyes were normal and then when you turned it around the dragon was like awake you know and then with its head rearing and her eyes were glowing which i thought was a nice kind of um what's the word i'm looking at i've never associated that but now that you say it i can totally see that yeah that was very intentional so that it, it, it stressed the you know the the point again it gave one more indicator of you know oh she's in she's in her mean phase stay away from her her eyes are her eyes are lit and the dragon's awake right yeah. it's just more fun little tell there and it's actually, such an interesting helmet things, i yes. always i always wonder that it's like that must have been 
a trial to animate that <laughs> for oh, yeah. the show. And that was pure fantasy on my part. Yeah. Uh, that helmet was just pure fantasy. And, and one of the things, too, that was a subtlety is if you look at all the hair colors, none of them are solid colors. They all have another color blended in. It was one of those things where I could get that for free without charging, and it added more depth to the doll. So, you know, you I love the, the the most pronounced one is on Fallon, where she's got, if I remember correctly, I think I did it with purple, black, and purple. Correct. Yes. Yes. And so it um it when it caught the purple highlights, it was so cool. And don't think that that didn't go unnoticed as a child. I definitely saw all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In In fact, fact, that's the feature that stands out to me about the toys. I do remember the coloration of the hair. Yeah. I I still have weird fantasies of seeing someone with hair that looks black, but it's tinted just enough that in the sunlight it looks looks purple. And Mm -hmm. it's like, did I just see that or not? (laughs) Well, there's plenty of fans out there that have colored hair. I love it when they always write in, like, let's say one of our fans did pink hair and she'll write in and she'll be like, hey, I was inspired by Tamara and I did pink hair. So, you know, that that color idea that you had is still inspiring people. Now, does the Tamara have a little bit of white blended in? It's like a light pink, I think. Mm. I think it was cream. So, yes, it was either it was either light pink or cream. But it was a definitely a lighter tone in there. And specifically, I put pink on that doll. We talked about this before. I put pink on that doll so there would really be two dolls with pink. Yeah. Instead of just, oh, here's the pink one, here's the yellow one, here's the green one. <laughs> no. This way, I got to pump her up and add pink to her also without detracting from, from Princess Guinevere because she had blonde hair. So she didn't have to be pink on pink on pink. She just needed to have, you know, the pink outfit really worked for her. And then I could put the pink hair over here, um, which was fun and very deliberate. Okay, so, yeah, Fallon Fallon was – oh, actually, let me talk about the pose for a second. You know, I really liked on the Kenner action figures the way they kind of stood with a little bit of an attitude. And that's what I was going for on these. I don't know if it really translated. It's one of those things where, you know, if I'd had more time, maybe I would have gone back <clears throat> and just made the legs straight and not had that little knee kick out because it looked just a little weird when you put them on the on the on the horses. But um, but when they were just standing, they looked pretty cool because they had you know that little bit of animation to them where they weren't just a straight doll. That never bothered me on the horse, as you mentioned. Although I will say one thing, one story from childhood is whenever they would stand up, though, because their leg was kind of crooked, it always made them kind of stand limp-sided. Like, they always were a little limp. That's the way I always, like, whenever they were standing up, at least. I never felt like they stood up, you know, completely erect. Yeah, it's almost like we, we should have raised... The one, like one leg. leg. The crooked leg should have been yeah. a little bit taller. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see how I kind of cheated it um, the way it is now. It isn't quite right. I probably, what I should have done is I should have, I mean, if she had a, if she had a crooked knee, her toe should have been on the ground or, or the the ball of her not, yeah the ball of her foot and the heel should have been in the up in the air to be a perfectly anatomical pose. But one of the things that Kenner always wanted was flat feet with an octagon hole on the bottom, and that forced the the toy manufacturers to always put a flat on the bottom of the feet. Otherwise, they would just run a party line across that, and the, and the figure would never stand. So is there so, a story behind that octagon? Because I know that you put the bumps on the combs, but that only came yeah. with the deluxes. But it's like even the jewel powers still had that little notch in the bottom yeah, of their foot. If you look at any of the male figures from Kenner, any of the action figures, they all have a version of that. So I was asked to do that in this case, too, to make sure that the factories weren't putting a parting line there. Because if you put that 
if you if you put that shape in there, it meant that there had to be a flat area and a um, I'm missing the word here, but basically in the tool that part gets pulled out before the part before Guinevere Guinevere's leg pops out of the machine. There, that octagon shape slides out of the tool so that it can fall free. There's a name for that, and I should know it. I can't think of it at the moment. I'll shout it out in a few minutes while we're talking. But <laughs> randomly, you'll shout it out. So, is it yeah. more or less like also for people to realize that this is like an authentic Kenner piece, or because it didn't really see or seem to serve a real purpose? Well, it yeah, seems it, like it serves a purpose more for the manufacturing than. For any play purpose. Like play reason. Yes. Yeah. And then if you wanted to have something where it had to stand on an accept, on a play set or you made a little stand for it like the combs, then that was already pre-made and all your figures could work that way. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And so, so I used it specifically on two sets of combs. So the combs that are on the deluxe set... Um, had that, and then the combs that were brand new combs that were to come with the the jewel power dolls, which were never released, and they were more like a troubadour's trumpet. Yes. And and then it had like the hanging down fabric part, and um, and you could they could stand on that, and um, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So let's talk Tamara. Um, Tamara was fun, and she just had you know fun colors too. I just really enjoyed her colors, and that was actually a battle trying to get that teal color because it wasn't a typical color in toys at that time. But I managed to get it to work, and part of it was because Robert looked at it and said, "Oh, it looks good," and so I could go back and say, "Well, this is what the licensor wants," and uh, I so. In some ways, yes, I did use Robert to beat our our management to get what I wanted. Um, <laughs> so, and I'm From sure a, I probably did the reverse of that too, trying to get Robert to do a couple things. But Robert was always <laughs> right in reverse yeah. psychology. From a yeah. design perspective, I know that you had mentioned about you know Tamara's. Um, I, I forgot what you called them the the knee the knee braces or whatever they are. Um, Greaves. Greaves. So explain a little bit about, you know, from a costume perspective, what exactly those historically did, why they're there, or, or from where they were inspired from. Oh, basically, if someone tried to hack your leg off. Oh, okay. It would stop it. So it's yeah. knee armor, essentially, yeah, like it's, leg it's armor. Le- it's leg armor. Gotcha. So okay. It, and then combined with that, we have a mini skirt on Tamara. So... Yeah. Is that the 90s talking? Because I don't think that during medieval, you know, wherever we are, Camelot, they had mini skirts. That's right. And plus I pointed it in the front so it would have a more fun look on it, too. <laughs> and, that, and that was very specific. If you go back to just basic armor, the first thing you're going to wear is a helmet. The second thing you're going to wear is a chest plate. And then if you've got more money you're going to wear probably gauntlets and then greaves. And then after that, it's kind of filling in, you know, your, I forget all of the exact names, but you've got your, your thigh armor, you've got your shoulder armor, you've got the, uh, um, the elbow armor. And I used to know all those names and I have forgot them all now. Um, (laughs) but, and so I used some of the main pieces for those to do that. I gotcha. So it is rather historical in nature. It, It started that way. And I use that as my jumping off point to see what really existed. And and that's one of the things that if you're a junior designer or a junior artist, here's some good advice. Don't just draw what's in your head. Go look at things. Go look to see how the horns really are on a giraffe, which you don't think of them as having horns that often. Go look at all those oddities. Use what's out there in either history or life to embellish the ideas in your head. And it'll only make them richer. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make you any less of a designer if you add in, you know, a Paltron 
from the 1600s. No, it just makes it look more fun and richer. And and so don't ever be afraid to make something look like something else. It doesn't all have to be out of your head. And usually you can look at artwork from junior designers or junior artists and go, oh, they drew all that out of their head. Now, sometimes it works if you're Dr. Seuss. But Dr. <laughs> Seuss spent decades drawing little cartoons, quick, get the flit, quick Henry the flit, where he drew funny-looking horses, and he drew funny-looking mosquitoes and things. And so by the time he got to all the Dr. Seuss books, he had created his own look, but he did it first by looking at what a horse looked like. I mean, you, some of his early artwork is much more realistic, and then it evolves in what it needs to. So, you know... Use what's out there. Use it to inspire you and make your work better. And are you referring to the butterflies in Tamara's helmet piece or like the feathers on Gwen's or the flags? Because that's the way that I took that comment. Yes. What I did was, I mean, if you look at medieval helmets and Viking, you know, mythical Viking helmets, because most Viking helmets didn't have horns, but there were a lot of helmets during this time period that had the wild things on the sides. And instead of just doing the, those shapes, I wanted to make sure that each of those sets of helmet wings, shall we say, portrayed the character better. And certainly the wings for Princess Guinevere echoed Sunstar. And, Tamara was always more about being in touch with animals. That was really kind of her spirit. You know, she had that voice to animals. And so using butterflies on that work because it was an animal. With Fallon, Fallon, once again, was interesting. I could always play with her a little bit. I could push her a little bit farther. And in some ways, those are like the standards flowing standards going into battle, you know, on top of your pikes or on top of your your flags and your standards. And it was what rushes forward in, ba in battle. And that's that's how I saw her as rushing into the adventure. That's a fantastic mm. analogy. I have never looked at the toys and gotten that into depth about it. I love it. That's fantastic. When you're when you're this wacko, you <laughs> when you're this in love with what you do. Yeah. Because and none of those things were flukes. Everything that I have described to you so far is like, no, I specifically did it that way. Even going back to Fallon for a moment, if you look at her boots, she I mean just just take off all of her armor. She's she's much more like a a musketeer. I mean, she's yes, got on I've the seen best. that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and you look back to her shoes, her boots, and I'm sorry, those are musketeer boots. I mean, they absolutely are. They are leather musketeer boots. Um, unlike the other ones, which are more armory, you know, and jewel and things like that, but not Fallon's. Fallon was very specifically an adventurous. I mean, I saw her in my, my mind wearing leathers you know and being ready to to you know jump into the fray and and you know Guinevere would be the one to lead the pack but the point person was Fallon to make things happen in my mind oh. since we're talking about the boots you know I will also point this out um I love the fact that each of the characters kind of have unique footwear. So whether it's Fallon's boots, Guinevere's boots, you know, Tamara doesn't really have, she just has shoes on because you can put on the greaves. You know, as you've mentioned, Kale has those amazing boots and all those are unique molds. And then you have Sunpower Guinevere and Deluxe Fallon that both have those elf style shoes, but they're at least in different categories. And then Tamara and Guinevere have the same like, strapped high heel as deluxes but again i love the fact that all of them have different shoes that is something again as a child that i always paid attention to so this was one of those little joyful moments because at mattel if you looked at the princess dolls 
they all had the same legs and they were Wonder Woman legs. They were <laughs> they were high heels. <laughs> they were they were wedged high heels. Okay. Yes. Except they couldn't get away with it on Jasmine. They had to sculpt the, the little shoes for Jasmine because those feet showed. And that was a difference in the philosophy of tooling that Mattel had than Kenner did. Kenner would make the tool for this particular figure and run this figure. And so when I got to do this, when I started doing the sculpting, I originally had them all the same legs. And they're like, well, you know, it's different tooling for each one. And so I'm like, really? Like, yeah. So you can do whatever you want. I'm like, cool. They're all going to have different shoes. <laughs> you know, and, and the moment I got to do that, I made sure they did. I think I left the, the arms are all the same. And I think that's, that's it. The arms are all the same. And that's it. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think it would be. Yeah. No, they are the same. I mean, except for some part of Guinevere, but all the rest of them, even yes. Kale, they have the same arms. But we never yes. minded that as children. I mean, you know, even as collectors, it's fine. Like, I think that the arms are embellished with all the other toy accessories that you don't really see things like that. You right. know? Yes. So and I did want a certain amount of you could flip parts back and forth. So which it did work, you know, and I think that yeah. those are kind of those things where, you know, if the arms were different molds, you might not have been necessarily able to do that, but you could slip them on like the, the fabric pieces and things like that. And speaking of, that's another thing. So I know in the toy line, at least, you know, Fallon and Guinevere both have capes. And then, wait, no, Guinevere doesn't have a cape. She has the ruffle, the ruffle. thing, the ruffle thing. And then Fallon yeah. has the cape and then Tamara has the skirt. But at least in the show, Guinevere has a cape. Fallon has a cape. Out of all of them, I mean, even Kayla and the pack have capes as well. Tamara's the only one that doesn't have a cape. Yet in her, like, leisure wear, her everyday wear, she's the one that wears a cape. Just wondering, was there an idea behind that of why Cam Tamara doesn't have a cape? Or is that just random? Um, I can't remember for sure. And some of like when I look at some of the drawings, hold on, let me let me flip to because I don't have these in any order. <laughs> but because um, I, I had I had the sheets out of the character designs. Yes. So if you go to let's see, wait a second. Let me. So I've got the one in front of me that's Princess Guinevere, and here is oh here we go. So I'm looking at what became the style guide drawings. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure why she, I'm not sure why Fallon, oh, that's right, she doesn't have it. No, Tamara, I mean, yeah. Fallon or Gwenever don't have capes in their in their everyday clothes. Yep, they don't, you're right. Um, not sure why they decided to do that, because certainly the, the, I designed the toys first and then we went back and designed the characters in fact i someplace in here i've got a drawing in fact here i'm gonna set this in my one for you to, to scan for you but it's the actual drawing that we sent robert this drawing. oh no it's not this is actually a cutesy drawing of year two Oh, yeah, you you need to see that one. You haven't seen that one. Um, no, we haven't seen any artwork from Year 2 toys. We have only seen prototypes. Yeah. Okay, so um, but we did the drawings first, and then they went back in and changed some of them. They they made them you know, more animatable and some things like that. So, like, in fact, they went back in and put the, the pink hearts, painted pink hearts in the middle of her knee. Oh, so that wasn't originally your idea. Done, but that's what they were. No, um, those the hearts were there, but I did not put that color break. There. Right. I always yeah. figured it was just because the plastic piece is all one mold and you didn't want to paint the plastic because none of them have painted plastic, which a fan has yeah. gone back and you'll love this. They went and repainted their original toys and they added like gold highlights to like, let's say the um, the Guinevere 
neck armor. They added like the, each of the little details they painted in gold or like they did the same thing to Fallon in silver or pink for Tamara. So, you know, true fans went back and repainted all that <laughs> stuff on their toys. Um, one thing that is that is fun, um, if you look at the style guide sheets and there's there's extra outfits for each of the main characters. OK. Um, and we never made toys of those. Uh, and it's, the, it's all the outfits on the far left hand side. I designed all of those. Um, so my intention was to get back to those outfits at some point and make dolls out of them. But um, so it was neat that they actually used those in the show, even though I didn't get around to making dolls out of them yet. But or even just were, fashion packs. That would have been fun. Yeah, that would have been fun, too. In fact, there was a very short-lived 12-inch version of Princess Guinevere oh. that we worked on for a few weeks. <laughs> which was hope. like, yeah. And I think, now, it they're out there somewhere in the collector world now, but we actually made the prototype armor just you know hand model making prototype farmer for the figure and um but and that was as far as we went and they mm -hmm. they did there was a, a horse that existed in international tooling they wanted to use which was like eh, it was okay but it was kind of didn't didn't have anywhere near the beauty of the fashion star Philly sculptings that we rearranged for the Guinevere horses. Um, but it was, I, I would have liked that to happen because 12 inches still where my heart is. Um, but it would have right. been really cool. And of course I would have put awesome. in every detail I could have managed to fit in there. But anyway, <laughs> that would have been I, like I the deluxe prototype, you know, the deluxe version. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How fun. And the one thing well, was always, uh -huh. oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, one thing that I always thought was odd was Robert was stuck on the, well, they should have um, motorcycle helmets. And, um, and I, I hated the motorcycle helmets. That's what he had them on, on originally. And so I made the helmets, you know, so that the face mask came down. And because, it, because I made it clear he we, he compromised, so he left the face mask clear, more like a motorcycle helmet, um, and and he let the dolls look more like it was full armor. So, well, that was actually a piece that I was going to bring up was the design of the helmets. Was that just trying to make them more cool? Because as a kid, I always kind of associated them like you know they do look like motorcycle or like astronaut type of like helmets where it's not your typical, you know, medieval helmet. Yeah, I, I would say that, that that was one part of the toy that was a compromise. Okay. Um, gotcha. I would have I pushed it and made it look a little bit more medieval, but, but Robert really, he had some drawings of ones with motorcycle helmets that he loved, and so I had to keep some aspect of that. Um, so that was compromised. Gotcha. Um, a couple of quick things, and then I know we got to wrap up this for this particular session, but, um, regarding the design of, um, since we're talking about the toys. So the three last things I want to talk about is for Guinevere, um, at least on the toy, there was the actually like painted swirls on her bodysuit around her chest. You know, none of the other characters really have painted details like that. Was that because, again, she's like the core character, so you wanted to create something that was different? Or was that just because that was the way that the animation for the film was going to be done? So you're trying to make the toy look as, you know, as consistent as possible. Okay, let me answer it this way. It was definitely my fault. I know I designed that. <laughs> And I specifically did it, and they managed to put it into the animation. I don't remember what I was thinking at the time. Okay. But I know it was definitely a detail I put in there. I think what it was is I couldn't afford – I don't know. In hindsight, I would have done something a little bit different with that. Like, I love the way that Fallon 
Han turned out with her little her little leather vest thing. Um, yeah. Um, I okay. should have done better on that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, uh, I've always loved the swirls. Like, I think that it, fun, yeah. it adds a fun flavor to it. I've always just kind of seen it as, well, you know, she's like the princess, so it's kind of like her mark of royalty. Like, that's the reason why she has it on her jewel armor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and swirls, if you look at a lot of my artwork, like, actually, the very first toy line I did myself was Hooks at Mattel, which was a plush line. And they were all plush swirls. They were animals that had feet that all ended up in little spirals so they could all connect together. And so there's a there's a lot of spirals in my work still. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you were just talking about materials, that is interesting, I guess, you know, because obviously it's plastic, but what it's intended to be. So you're saying that Fallon, most of her, I mean, with the exception, I don't know, I mean, maybe even her you know, pants were leather as well. But for the most part are when we're looking at boots on characters, when we're looking at, you know, like Fallon's vest, are those all leather? They're not like cloth, like her shirt isn't cloth. That's supposed to be leather. In my mind, in my mind, Fallon's vest and her boots were definitely, definitely leather. Okay. And I'd say, Probably the pants were leather too. Oh, okay. But I never, I never really pushed it that far. I probably should have. That would have been really cool to have some little stitching mm-hmm. detail on the side. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, I. She was in leathers. Okay, so Fallon is yeah. leather. Um, Guinevere yeah. and her whole pink bodysuit is that like a like a, a soft fabric or what? What would that be? I know I'm really trying to get you to pull out of the magic hat. Okay. Let me me answer the other direction. Any of the fabrics on Tamara were always, I imagine them, you know, fluffy fabrics. I mean, even if you look at the the drawings of her different outfits that we made and some didn't make, it was always fluffy. But I think with, with, Gwen, I think it's more like royal silks. Okay. So mm. Guinevere would be more like silk. So like her cape and things like that would be more like a silk? Yes. Okay. And then Tamara, since you're saying soft fabrics, um, I mean, obviously it probably wouldn't be something that would be harder. Although, you know, I, I guess I imagine her more because she came from the country that she probably would have a lot more of that type of material. But I guess I can see when you're saying like, like this shirt is very billowy. So you're assuming it's a very light fabric. Exactly, and maybe it's maybe it's more like a very fine linen mm-hmm. would probably be more of the idea, you know, or or let's jump well Egyptian cotton, you know, something like that that it's very very lightweight and still fluffy. Okay, mm. is Tamara's corset would that also then be leather? I'm assuming, or is no. that fabric? In that case, I would have made it fabric. I probably on that case, I would have thought of it. If, if I was if I was making that costume in real life and putting it on stage, that would be velvet. Okay, so her her little corset thing would be velvet, and then like yeah. how you said, kind of like a cottons or an Egyptian cotton for the rest of her outfit. Yes. Okay, and then mm. the same thing for her leggings, or what what would have been the the period appropriate fabric for like leggings like that they would have been hand knit okay because i know it's more like a spandex like when you look at it like a superhero you know at this time period you had stockings and stockings would actually go up and attach to your waist but they would stop at your crotch and and then later what they did is they filled in that crotch, and um, and it was called a bray, if I remember correctly. It's on a, on a man's outfit. It's that sounds bray. familiar. Yeah. And then they started stuffing that bray to make it look like the man was more well endowed. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. I've seen illustrations. And this time, not that. making up. Yeah. No, no, exactly. no. I've seen illustrations. And, yes. 
Yes. And then it went to a cod piece, which was actually a sculpted piece that would hang there that would proclaim more yes. manhood. Manhood. Um, but that's, <laughs> yeah. But that's how it actually started because it was, it was knit stockings. They would go up, they would be attached at the waist underneath your tunic. And then eventually they would put in kind of the hourglass shape of fabric, stitch that together, and that was called the bray. Okay, and you're really making me dig into really old... <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Like I said, I, I know it's just that a lot of fans are so interested, especially in the cosplay aspect of this, and, you know, what is the appropriate or the the right pieces or whatever it might be. So I think that this is going to have to be a separate, you know, feature that we will obviously do for the archive about, you know, whether it's historical or not historical, but the the what the outfits were supposed to be made of and kind of the, the story behind the fashions. So yeah. that's an awesome thing. Thank you so much. And I do want to be mindful of your time as well. Okay. Let me ask you a couple other questions sure. um, and we can always talk about these later, but of course there was the whole other, other set that we talked about once before, which was the year three sets. Which yeah, only I, had actually we had drawings and we started the sculptings. I have photographs. You guys, I don't know if I we have the photographs of the sculpted okay. figures. Okay. So we did those on some of them, and some of the figures. Wait, hold on, Max. I see. What did we do? I, I, we made working models on all of these because, in the one I don't have the photo, I don't have the drawing of, which is really weird. But it was Fallon. Fallon had a power that you could literally take the doll. She had an interesting backpack, and you could just blow on her from behind. And bubbles, she had a she had a fan behind her, and it would spin a pinwheel that would spin basically, dip in through a little chamber of fluid, and just blow bubbles straight out. It was really cool. Um, and this was another one where the engineers told me it would never work, and then I built the model and handed it to him went, see, it works. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish I had little American know how. Exactly. Like I was always thinking outside the box um, for, for this stuff. Um, now I've got a drawing here of three sheep. One that's a thin sheep, one that's a thicker sheep, and one that's a fat sheep. Um, was that in an episode or was that from a different series that I worked on with Robert later? Well, depending on what it all? looks like, it could be fluffy, stuffy and muffy from, um, one of the episodes in the first season called the fairy princess. It's actually the same right. episode that Wendy, that little purple dragon appears in. Oh, got it. Okay. Yes. Now another set of drawings that I have that I can't remember if they ended up in Guinevere or not was Chris. There's a crystal dragon. There's a crystal fawn, and there's a crystal bunny. I think we have scans of that already. Okay, okay. So you don't need that one. That was the one that I think that you did. I thought that you said that, no, that was supposed to be for a different cartoon. So is that... I was pretty sure you said at one point that was for the other cartoon. It it may have been, and unfortunately it's it's starting to fog over. I know, it all comes together. Yeah. I've got... um, I've got... The control drawings of the dragon, which is really cute, and the model. I'm sorry. The, this is the the baby dragon. I forgot its name, but Windy when you or sugar, sugar, and then the the wings actually wrap around it, kind of like he's going to go to sleep, and then the eyeballs close. And we, we have photos of the prototype. Okay, but we don't have the drawings. I don't believe. Okay, I will set that aside. Uh, there was also a version we had planned of the of the small horse, or actually small unicorn. Two different versions. One was you would comb its hair, and it would do something. Let's see. Wait. Here we go. One was you'd comb its hair, and its head would kind of flip up like, oh, I love it. Keep going like that. Um, <laughs> and then it would, then it would flop back down. Very, very adorable drawing. And then there hey, was I've never seen that. Feature. Okay. Um, this this other one was one where its head would just tilt down, which was also a very beautiful drawing. 
I'm assuming that that idea eventually found its way or, you know, whatever, which way. Um, but that's the same play feature that Spike has with the deluxe Tamara when you're supposed to wake him up with your heartstone. So that was the magnetic feature with Tamara. Yes. So that the, the brush would have worked that way. Definitely. Yeah. And, and of course that, and that was done. The, the, uh, the horse drawing was done way afterwards gotcha. because it was it was very intentional. Okay. Actually, uh, let me talk about the king. Oh wait, so I've got the original drawings too of the um, the little floater guys. Yeah. Um, uh, Drifter, Nubbin, and yeah. Floater. Yes, but I have the original drawings that we started with, which were actually interesting because they're actually cuter. I don't know if we have that one as well. We have something that's similar to that. Okay. But I'm not sure. So one of the things I, I ran across was um, the king's outfit. And I I actually I didn't design the king at all. But what I did do was when they sent me the design, I went back and said, okay, guys, you need, I need you to change some colors because it's not working with the rest of the line. Um, and one of the things I specifically did there's a got it in there someplace. Because I saw it had my hand notes on it that I sent back to Robert saying, Hey, you need to change these colors. This is why. And um like the king did not originally have <clears throat> a green cape. Here we go. Here's my notes. So I, I changed it. I changed the king. I said, Look, Guinevere's the daughter. He needs to have a golden beard. He originally had solid black, solid black beard and, and hair. Um, <clears throat> he also was wearing red. And I'm like, no, take the red off of him and save it for the bad guys. Because that's really what found, or, uh, Kale's colors were. Also, mm -hmm. and they had given him on the cape. And I'm like, no, he's really the head ranger. He's the king. So I insisted that they go back in and give him the green cape that we hide on the rangers. And um, so that he was he's the ultimate leader of the pack. And so they did make a bunch of these changes in the final version, which was kind of nice. No, it's a fun story. I love yeah. And I think that we're going to have to talk more next time on, you know, how you as the director from the toy perspective, you know, really collaborated and influenced the actual animation. I mean, it's it's so funny because it's like, you know, just one little story starts drifting off in all sorts of directions. And it's like we can start off with this idea of, OK, we have these things to cover and like we get barely one bullet point. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's just so much involved that I love hearing all these stories. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a complicated process and it's a fun process. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be mindful of your time and we're going to let you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, honestly, I mean, thank you so much. I really yes, appreciate you coming on and, you know, always willing to talk to us. We really appreciate it. But, you know, also aside from that, I, I just, I love hearing your own personal stories and, and, you know, not just as a source of inspiration from the jewel writers, but just even as a friend, like I love hearing your stories. Like we really appreciate you talking to us. Thank you, Greg. Oh, no problem. And, and don't forget, if you want to find more fun stories, go read my book. Yes. The Con at the Con, The Lost Blaster Disaster. It's still a fun book. And so as well, what, look at your blog, 12 Inch Treasures. Oh, yep. yep. I will admit, I haven't done as much on the blog lately with all sorts of other weird things happening in life, but mm -hmm. we will be doing more on that. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Greg, so much. Hopefully everything, you know, with this whole quarantine thing will pass soon, but I hope that everyone stays safe and, you know, be well out there and enjoying just listening to reminiscences and, and fun stories like this one. Take care, guys. And I hope all the fans are, are staying well with all of this. I know it. <laughs> oh, I'm for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's do our sign off. Okay, sounds good. So we can't thank Greg enough for coming by and chatting with us more again about the history of Jewel Riders. If you'd like to find out more about his work in the toy industry, you can visit his blog, 12 Inch Treasures, or read his book, 
The Conic Cons, The Lost Blaster Disaster. And if you want to find more from the from us, you can find us at the Jewel Riders Archive, www.jewelridersarchive.com. Or you can find this podcast on many different platforms, from Google Play and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher to Spotify to our home on Podbean. And as we always like to say before we end, friends together. Friends, friends forever. forever. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.